Welcome to the Midlife Masculine Podcast. My name is Dhruv Sethi and join me on this journey of becoming an objective, independent, self-sovereign thinker and doer. The masculine maintains structure in our families and society even when it's underappreciated. This always begins with the acquisition of knowledge, ancient or modern, obscure or mainstream, regardless we will acquire knowledge together on this show. Find us on mlmpod.info and all major podcast platforms. Please like, share, subscribe and hit the bell. Welcome to another episode of the Midlife Masculine Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about embracing your dark masculine side. We'll talk about what it is and how to embrace it and why we should embrace it. Our guest today is a returning guest, Melissa Layton, who's backed by popular demand. Melissa is a spiritual coach, healer, retreat facilitator, and um, if you haven't already, I strongly recommend that you listen to our first episode, which was released in July 2023. Welcome, Melissa. So, dark side. Hi. Now, for our listeners, what is dark side? When we say it's something, some, somebody has a dark side, what does that mean? It is the, I mean, the nature of reality, this duality that exists within all people. There are qualities that are perceived as light and qualities that are perceived as, as dark. And we're specifically looking at masculine darkness today. Um, so often because of the way that we live societally and culturally, there are parts of us that get repressed and we get chastised and criticized for these aspects of ourselves, but they all play a role that's important to, to integrate. And uh, you think we should embrace our dark side? Definitely. Um, you know, the, the kind of the, the Jungian idea about the shadow is that if it's not embraced and integrated, it lurks in the subconscious and derails our lives. So Whereas it can be tempting to, to push away what's not comfortable to look at, really we have to bring it closer so that we can work with it as a, a positive force. So when we say embrace, do we mean embrace and then overcome or make it a part of us? Make it a part of us. Okay. And does everyone have a dark side? 100%. And actually anyone who claims that they don't, they're the most dangerous ones. <laughs> and you touched upon... Well, we said dark masculine energy. So just at a high level, we're talking about masculine dark energy, but how would you compare and contrast and is there a relationship between the two, the dark feminine and dark masculine? Definitely. Um, I guess you can think about the, and, and firstly, it's important to state that all people, regardless of gender, have both masculine and feminine energy. So this is all going on inside all of us, but masculine traits are typically thought of as logic, being decisive, competitiveness, achievement, control, protective, um, pursuing these kind of traits. Whereas the um, feminine qualities are intuition, sensing, feeling, fluidity, and anything in too much of an extreme can become dark. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot in sexual attraction and sexual polarity, which is getting a bit warped at the minute because of this 
need to hide, I think, some of the, the more masculine, darker, carnal desires. We've got, we got a new term these days, which is being thrown around a lot, misogynistic and uh, toxic masculinity. Do they have any relevance or is it just something that's uh, being thrown around these days? A hundred percent they have relevance. They exist massively. What becomes problematic is that men who aren't necessarily misogynistic or don't demonstrate or have those values or those beliefs, they live in fear of being that to the extent that they will totally repress push out to the shadows the parts of themselves that feel even vaguely like they might veer into that territory so this is all about balance and healthy perspectives and healthy integration Um, whenever our behavior or expression is coming from fear you can bet that it's going to be maladaptive yeah, I think uh, these days we men have to be very careful with what we say, what we don't, what we don't say or what we do um, due to fear of being slapped with a hashtag me too on our faces. So yeah, we have to be careful. Definitely. And and actually I, I've seen this more and more recently that um, the way that that's expressing is a lot of men going for very indirect approaches, um, this kind of not directly saying asking someone out but resorting to quite manipulative tactics and behavior to try and find a way to get access to women and I mean that is just as if not more toxic than being assertive but it's the fear of the me too that means that they think oh no I can't I can't possibly go up to someone and directly so let me find a way to do this in a more well I see it's coercive and manipulative way i suppose there is something called i suppose there would be something called toxic femininity as well then in the same way definitely the the same all all the traits in their extremes and you know there's this vision perhaps slightly naive vision that i have of the world of all these things living in harmony and perfect balance and we're a long way away from that but men and women because of the differences in those energies can help counterbalance each other it's what's happened with society over the past pretty much as 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 long as we've been a society is that the masculine at least in the western world has dominated so the the way that we live is very masculine even thinking about um, routine and schedule and the five-day working week and this repetition structure order um but with that it's so easy for the masculine to become out of balance and we're seeing now there's more femininity creeping back into our ways of working and our ways of living and being um but there there's still some conflict there interesting times so let's dig into a few dark masculine sides um let's begin with narcissism so what would you say how would you describe narcissism It is a grandiose sense of self-importance. I want to distinguish between narcissistic personality disorder, which is, you know, that's a clinically diagnosable condition. And let's talk about narcissism as the the trait, the characteristic, because it's far more widespread than the the true core condition. Um, But this sense of entitlement, self-importance, lack of 
empathy or awareness to other people's feelings. It tends to be a lot of charisma and charm, um, knowing what to say, manipulation, coercion. All of this is different aspects, different facets of narcissism. Um, and it is that the healthy masculine expression would be confidence. I feel like a genuine sense of self-assurance and confidence. Uh, narcissism, as we experience it, is often masking deep fear and insecurity. Fear of abandonment, fear of rejection that has been masked with this construct of false confidence. And how does it manifest in romantic relationships? Usually there's quite a, a typical, I was going to use the word victim, I think this probably is an accurate one, the victim who will be pursued by a narcissist and they tend to be highly sensitive people. Empaths. Empaths, very, very empathetic. And they will start and enter into those relationships. Usually it follows quite a typical model where initially there'll be a lot of love bombing come on very hard and fast tell you all the right things oh you're my dream woman I've never felt like this before I want to spend my life with you and all of that happens initially and then they start to withdraw they'll stonewall you they blow very hot and cold which for any person triggers the intermittent reward cycle in the brain which really gets you hooked on that person and then the behavior starts to worsen in terms of the way that they treat you but you're so addicted by that point that you'll be it will feel existentially threatening to you to end that relationship usually there's a final moment known as the discard where that person is the narcissist will be done with their victim and just discard them and by that point that the the victim is a shell of a shell of themselves what's what's left and just to be clear, um, both men and women can be narcissistic. 100%. 100%. It's a, it's a dark masculine trait in that, in that it comes from that, that um, confidence that gone, that's gone wrong, essentially. That's a way of looking at it. But there are many female narcissists. And there'll be many men who've been on the re receiving end of that relationship dynamic as well. Mm. And what does embracing narcissism embracing slash overcoming look like and yeah so that particular trait you wouldn't want to consciously decide ah oh, i'm going to become a narcissist but you'd look like underneath this what what is the healthy expression of this trait and it's all about your relationship with yourself your self-worth your self-esteem confidence um, and to feel a sincere sense of confidence is very very different to narcissism narcissists are feeding off other people to massage their ego and keep bolstering up their sense of self and their self-esteem but true self-esteem comes from within i don't need you to tell me i'm beautiful or that you want to spend your life with me i i feel good in my body regardless of what i'm being met with from the outside world mm. I see what you mean. I guess that the difficulty with the, the masculine in particular is that it's so much more about doing than being, which is why narcissism becomes, I think, more prevalent um, with men because there is this slight nuance in that they feel I have to do in order to be worthy. My actions, my words, my accolades 
are tied into my worth and that is hard harder for men to feel that I think deep internal sense of self-esteem just just for existing yeah the masculine is very much driven by the doing mm -hmm. and achieving milestones goalposts forward-looking whereas the feminine is more about maybe a bit more about being in the moment and feeling in the moment for sure and linked to narcissism is self-worth um, well I'll, I'll let you explain how they're linked but we'll jump on to self-worth after that yeah so so the the link really is that often what we perceive in others as narcissism can look like a grandiose inflated sense of self-importance and self-worth but quite, quite a lot, lot of, of narcissists or people who demonstrate narcissistic traits actually have cripplingly low self-worth and so this dance that we're witnessing what's going on on a superficial level is really there just to to mask that feeling of deep unworthiness that resides underneath that so looking at how children develop if at a young age you had a lot of wounding to your self-esteem parents who chastised you or said you weren't good enough was pushing you criticizing you that can be a pivotal moment in the child's development in terms of their relationship with themselves and it's not a conscious decision but on some level they will decide I need to protect myself from these uncomfortable feelings and so I'm going to start creating this story this mask of deception that I'll, I'll wear to hide what's really going on underneath if all you've heard is you're not good enough then on some level you'll believe that but it feels like this protective barrier if I can create this identity that that feels so amazing that how could you possibly see the pit of unworthiness that sits beneath it so many of these dark sides emanate from our childhoods perhaps we've forgotten about them or we don't even know that we are living them can that be true definitely and, and one of the hardest things i think with treating narcissism clinically and even addressing these traits that exist within all of us to a certain extent is that they're egoically designed to protect us from something very uncomfortable that's sitting underneath that they're also ironically be the things that stand in the way of our healing you need to it takes a lot of self-awareness and humility which are not things that narcissistic people have a lot of to say I need help I need to work on this thing it's it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel right and in terms of um, self-worth how to embrace slash overcome uh, what would you say how, how do you say how would you say we should overcome that to build healthy self-worth, to build healthy self-esteem, you have to look at the stories that are going on in your brain that are undermining that. And there are many different variations of the, the story, but they all stem from one core belief, and that is usually not enough. I'm not enough. And so it could be, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not funny enough, I don't have enough money. All these different things 
we've made our worth contingent on meeting some imaginary threshold of a particular characteristic. You know, you get all these exercises like mirror affirmations. And I think that you have to make moves incrementally. So if you catch the script of let's take let's take in its pure in its purest form i i'm not good enough i feel like a bad person you will struggle if you go too extreme and try and look in the mirror and tell yourself you're an amazing wonderful good person you are value and your brain your ego is very intelligent it won't believe you so you kind of have to catch the script and then move in small increments so a little movement from I'm not good enough I'm a bad person is to be like you're okay you're okay you're imperfect like everyone else on this planet and that's okay maybe that's where you get to one day and then moving further and further up the scale you take the story and over time it moves to a feeling of I'm a, I'm a good person you know what? I, I am a good person. I'm doing good work on this world and I, I, I deserve to be here. Mm. Um, another thing I've come across as well in terms of boosting your self-worth is you should promise yourself that you, when you agreed with yourself that you're going to do something, say, all right, today I'm going to send that email or today I'm going to make that phone call to a potential client. Mm. When you say that to yourself, you make sure you do it. Detached from the outcome just that and if you keep doing that however small those promises you make to yourselves are if you just stick to them one by one that will over time boost your self-worth and another thing that i've come across is where we have to learn to say no and that has helped me in my life and um, making these promises to myself like a to-do list however menial those tasks are they definitely help with the self-worth Mm, saying no that's such a good one to pick up on I think because it's about boundaries and it's about self-respect and if you are saying yes to things that you don't want to do usually it relates to another person I'm agreeing to do something for you that I don't actually authentically want to do it's a form of self-abandonment I'm abandoning myself to to do what you want me to do and in that I'm essentially telling myself I'm less important than you I'm not worthy my feelings don't matter and of course that's going to compound feelings of low self-worth and conversely when we allow someone to transgress our boundaries and we don't set those parameters clearly and there are no consequences for that either again self-abandoning saying I don't matter I'm not important my feelings aren't as important as yours and of of course you're not going to feel good about yourself if that's the way that you handle yourself so the link between narcissism and self-worth um what would you say what did you say that was again the link is that the core wound of low self-worth low self-esteem can express in its extremes at one end of the spectrum highly narcissistic and at the opposite end of the spectrum someone very insecure in the victim mindset very passive in the backseat of life so two different expressions really but they're all coming from that core same place there's there's people who say there's an argument for there being a genetic component to the personality disorder too um but it's hard to distinguish when you encounter in real life where where it's coming from interesting so moving on to anger 
So when we say anger, um, what is it an expression of at its core? Mm. Everyone has anger. Everyone feels anger. It's a normal human emotion that we all experience. Life is annoying. Things are irritating. People are hard work. And so finding outlets for that energy, it's an emotion, energy in motion. It just needs to be released. And releasing does not mean shouting at the person who pissed you off. Releasing means you scream into the void or you take a pillow and you beat that against the floor or you whatever you need to do to to move the energy through your body you have to to do that so that you can, can forgive move forward continue whatever it is but because it's so heavily criticized as an emotion in both men and women it gets repressed and that's where things get really dangerous you see a lot of men who are f- fearful of expressing that and then become very passive aggressive manipulative harbor a lot of resentment or act out in other ways to to almost get their revenge and that's kind of can be dangerous if it's not embraced yeah i would say i was an angry kid especially in my teens um i was quite popular in school um i was liked by you could say one camp and quite disliked by another camp um split opinions i guess but i had some anger issues um but over time i overcame them i'm not sure how i overcame them but it was probably when i moved to london where even here i was quite popular had loads of friends but somewhere along the lines i discovered that you know i'm sort of alone you felt loneliness and that lonely feeling is quite sombering and i do think that calm me down a little bit and of course i embarked on a spiritual path um but as time progressed um like i didn't really get angry i hardly get angry on on the odd occasion yes but on the whole quite a calm guy but i do remember when i used anger to my favor and that was in what was it 2020 when covid happened and at that point when they were telling us when telling us to stay at home lockdown i actually got a bit angry because i knew that these politicians, these fuckers were lying to me. I mean, we know that they always lie. But at that point, it's sort of the penny dropped. Like, they're really lying to me. And I've been an idiot all my life. Um, but I use that to my advantage by reading up more, uh, studying various disciplines about spirituality and other things of how to become self-sovereign. And this podcast is actually a result of those, you could say angry, angry feelings, back then but i didn't have a release as such so it was a very positive release for me Mm, i would say definitely it's a a very transmuting energy like has the that fire that momentum that can catalyze us into action just as you described when it's channeled healthily i think the other purpose that it serves is to highlight injustice highlight when a boundary has been crossed and People who say, I I don't have it, I never feel it, are probably deeply repressing or ignoring when they are having their boundaries crossed. For sure. That is definitely a dark side, but um, I'm sort of happy with that dark side. I mean, it's good when you know that you can go apeshit. Yes, yeah, definitely. It can put people in their place sometimes. Not that you go apeshit, but the fact that you can. The fact that you can and that you're connected to it and that 
you're not pushing it away and it's not exploding out of you for no reason at inappropriate moments, which is generally what happens when, when it's not properly integrated. So that's my favorite dark side. <laughs> so how would you say we can embrace and overcome this? I'm going to gender stereotype here, but men are typically a lot worse at even realizing what's going on internally, emotionally for them. And I think firstly, recognizing anger in you is the first the first step. And we all know what it is. We all know what it means to be angry, but to take it to a really cellular sensory level, to start recognizing anger as the feeling of the quality of prickly heat in the body, catch it at that stage and label it. Okay, I'm feeling angry. I accept that I'm feeling angry. Don't push it away. The temptation is to to try and use the mind to reason with it. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. Blah, 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 blah. But that energy needs to move through you, whether you want to scream or you want to beat a pillow or you want to bang your fists against the table. Find a way to, to start moving the energy or dancing, like whatever it needs. It can't stay stagnant in you and it, it cannot be be reasoned with even though at the time sometimes you feel like this is subsiding because now it makes sense it it's not really yeah definitely to add on to that as well uh, to focus on your breathing because that becomes shallow as you get more angry mm. and if you just place your focus on that then you can lengthen and deepen your breath um, how is it going in and out of your nostrils or your mouth and if you could do that that tend to calm you down and also another thing that works for me is when the other, if, if say you have a situation where the other person is talking and that person is making you angry, one thing, and this is lifelong advice really, is just take one deep breath, just one breath before you reply or respond. That could be the difference. And if one is not enough, try two or three and that's really all you need. Uh, that, I mean, that helps me and I think that could help a lot of people. Mm. Like when somebody provokes you, rather than trying to... Um, speak over them or interject them just take that one breath mm. and then reply definitely I, I think it's a temp tempting thing to do when you're dealing with someone who's clearly been triggered you're at that fork in the road where you can let that trigger trigger you and then get entangled in this trauma mess or you can say I'm going to stand, and this is a very masculine quality actually, to say I'm going to stand steady here and not dive into this and instead diffuse the situation. And it's not about pleasing, trying to fawn, which some people do as well. It's about that grounded masculine steadiness that has an inherently diffusing quality. For sure. And what other dark masculine sides um could you list a few more i think control is one that comes up a lot in an unhealthy state it's very fear-based i need to control every detail every outcome because i feel scared i feel scared of what happens things don't go the way that i want them to and that can also become manipulation. Let me 
take away someone else's autonomy or agency by doing things in a certain way to try and get the outcome that I I want. The the healthy control is the the structure, the structure, the container, the framework, but without attachment and with full humility and awareness that you're steering the ship, but you you don't control the ocean. Mm. I'm going to divert a little bit from uh, the objective of this uh, episode. So we talked about narcissism, anger, and self-worth. Now, these dark sides, if we manage to control them, if, the, if men manage to control them, not that we're extremely narcissistic, angry, or have low self-worth, but they're at a healthy level, does that enhance attraction to the opposite sex? Yes, in that a woman with like a, a feminine essence will be more attracted in general to a man with a more masculine essence. And that means well-integrated masculinity, both light and dark. So the anger is a good example. No, no healthy woman is looking for a I'm looking for a really angry man. It's not something you hear. Somebody who can control that simmering temperament. More like, this is all, in, you know, and again, women are highly intuitive. I need to know that if I'm, if we're in danger, that you've got a flip that can be, you've got a switch that can be flipped. Absolutely. And it, it's it's unconscious. It's the, the, the whole nice guys, the nice guy thing that gets a lot of flack you know yes we want a gentleman and someone who's courteous and kind and respectful but I need to know that there's also that other part of you that you're tapped into and can access as and when you need it Mm, to defend his woman for example it sounds so archaic doesn't it but it is and it's not like I, I I'm in any physical danger I'm not but it's uh a dynamic that creates polarity between the masculine and the feminine, which is what creates desire, really. And when that's gone or when there's the absence of that kind of polarity, and again, you can have women with a really masculine essence and men with a very feminine essence, but without the polarity, it becomes much more familial and like a companion or a friend than it, than it does feel like desire. Mm. Interesting. And what about self-worth? I suppose men are not granted the luxury of having low self-worth and be attractive to women. Mm. Would you agree with that? I think the, the, the reality is like the way that we live now is conditioning out of men. Men's sensitivity to rejection is at an all time high because dating apps and these indirect approaches that mean that they minimize opportunities to be rejected and actually how do we build healthier self-esteem how do we feel more confident we take a few knocks and we see oh I'm fine on the other side oh it's not about me she she had a boyfriend whatever it is and now that there's a lot less of that I think that's having a collective impact on men's self-esteem and the problem with that means that they will take rejection personally. And I don't just mean rejection in the sense of like asking someone out. It's any moment when you're in relationship where someone, partner, is not giving you the thing that you 
want or need can be received as rejection or abandonment. And that's dangerous because, in fact, this is where a lot of relationship conflicts arise is when two people will have two conflicting needs. And it's essential for men in particular because they are, in general, more emotionally grounded party in the relationship to be able to receive a, a no and not take it personally. You know, there's a the cliche of like men always wanting to have sex and women always saying no. And I know that's that's not true, but that shouldn't be something that stops a man making sexual advances towards women. I'm not no means no. She has no she means no. But in general what happens is that the pattern becomes a man becomes dejected when a woman says she doesn't want to have sex impacts his self-esteem so eventually he stops asking the cycle should be you keep asking and you keep hearing no and it's not personal she can feel it however she wants to feel but you stay in your you stay in your masculine for sure and that reminds me of um one of my prior episodes which i released on 3rd of october with james tusk we talked about rejection and how important it is for men to embrace rejection and which can be a great thing and when you lose that sensitivity to rejection you can move forward in life and you know rejections then don't sting you're still happy and it elevates you as a man so absolutely i would say uh, check out that episode cool we've covered a lot of ground melissa um what would you say can you give our listeners some takeaways in identifying you know what some dark masculine sides which they may have and once they identify, what should they do? Just at a high level. Top tips based on what we've covered, which you know, we're really just the tip of the iceberg. Label your emotions. Own your emotions. Do not move into the cycles of shame and blame and guilt for any of what you're feeling. Because it's only from that, that place that you can work with this stuff. It's malleable. However it's expressing can be changed into a healthier expression, but only when you accept it, first accept it. Absolutely, agree. And whilst you were speaking, I think something that's helped me a lot as well is uh, vegetarianism. And whenever I have phases of, uh, um, when I go through periods of uh, time when I eat vegetarian food, that helps me immensely, really calms me down and helps with my breathing. Uh, so I would recommend that people try that out for a period of time, a few times in a year or permanently if it suits you. So it has definitely helped me. Um, of course, meditation as well. Ayahuasca. I'm surprised you didn't say ayahuasca. <laughs> Go on. Purge it all out of your All the shame, all the blame, all the guilt. Get it out of your system. Yeah, definitely. Ayahuasca can help. Very well. And um, so we reached the end of the episode. Um, what is next for you? Going back out to Spain to do another ayahuasca retreat in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and yeah, loads of workshops, events, um, still doing some private coaching as well. I've just launched a new podcast. Tell us about it's it. It's not hugely educational, but it's a light comedy entertainment podcast called Why the Hell Are We Friends? with my best friend who is not interested in any of this stuff she's a proper normal human being and we essentially just ridicule each other's life choices wow that's a nice concept yeah <laughs> it's been good fun what was it called again why the hell are we friends 
and we're and that's on the major plat- podcast platforms wherever you get your podcasts we will link that in the description below and um you had an instagram page as well right yes you can find me at energetics.explained we'll link that as well well melissa as always it's been a pleasure yeah thank you for having me always good to chat and thanks for making your way here on a rainy london <laughs> You've been listening to the Midlife Masculine Podcast. Find us on mlmpod.info and all major podcast platforms. Please like, share, subscribe and hit